All right, we continue our series here in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And so we're turning here to chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. And when you guys find your places there, well, just a little bit of context is that as Jesus continues to do his ministry, now he's starting to face opposition. Like from last week, as he healed a paralytic man and forgave his sins, the scribes and the Pharisees question, who can forgive sins but God alone? And you're going to find the more and more Jesus displays the hand of God at work, the more friction and resistance occurs. And so with this in mind, can I ask, if you're able, can you stand with me as you read God's Word? For the reading of God's Word? Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. He went, up, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of, a son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May you continue to bless it for us. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. So, cards on the table. I'm just going to be really honest with you. Confession time. I am a huge fan of the Fast and Furious series. And for those of you who don't know what it is, you are not missing out on much. It's just basically about a group of misfit streetcar racers who go on all these elaborate missions together. The acting is subpar at best. It has a lot of action scenes that are ridiculously unbelievable. And the storyline is always the same. Someone is in trouble, let's race. And sometimes, uh, actually every, every movie series, one of the members will turn on each other or one of them will defect and all the group has to try to get them back. I love this movie series. It's, it's mindless entertainment for me. I, I don't have to think about anything. It's just pure entertainment. And yet, at the end of every movie, they always end up eating together. They always end up eating together. No matter what the difference is or who messed up what, no matter what tensions existed, it's a meal that gathers them all together. And I like to believe the church is really like this gathering, a gathering of misfits learning how to break bread together. But sometimes our hearts can be closed off about who we choose to, uh, about who we think belongs to church, and perhaps even a little bit selective of who we invite, who we choose to break bread with. Maybe we think that the type of person, that's a certain type of person, will never believe. Or maybe perhaps we think about our Enneagrams or our Myers-Briggs that don't sync up with other people, so they won't get along. And if we don't get along, they won't get along with Jesus. And if all else fails, 
you can always use the excuse, I'm busy. I'm too busy. It's easy to be closed off. Easy to be closed off. But what makes this passage so explicitly clear in this passage is that Jesus makes an open invite. Jesus makes an open invite. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? We're going to look at three ways of what that looks like, and uh, three things of what that really looks like. First, it shows us the outer in. Second, we're going to look at how the inner out. And last of all, in Christ. Let's look at the first part, the outer in. I want you to think about these words for a second here. Trump supporter. Antifa. Pro-life. Pro-choice. Systemic racism. Critical race theory. Some of these words, they, they can make you feel a certain way as I say them. We can go on for days about all the different hot topic issues that exist today that can divide. And there are so many issues that you're left with this impression that everyone somehow should be hating each other, or there's more reasons to hate than there is to be united. And on top of this, there exists what we call cancel culture. That if you do or say anything wrong, we're not going to educate you, we're not going to let there be room for growth, we're not going to let there be room for grace. Rather, you're canceled. You are done. And that's it. And if everyone is canceling each other, then what is being left, what is, what is being left, what, are we, what is actually being approved? What is actually being approved? Then there is this name. Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Levi, the son of Alphaeus. This is perhaps the most detestable human being for a Jewish audience to hear about. His name literally comes from the lineage of the Levites, a Jewish tribe specifically in charge of temple worship. The name carries this weight, its prestige and reverence. And what does a name such as Levi, or the, uh, what, does, what does a name that, that uh, possesses such nobility, what does it decide to do? Sitting at a tax booth. Sitting at a tax booth. He is a tax collector. Let's just be frank, no one likes paying taxes, period. Right? No one likes paying taxes, period. When's the last time you saw someone wearing an IRS shirt or a hat on? saying that they're a huge fan. Never in your life, probably. This is very real for us, as April is right around the corner. And for us, our, and in this context here, there's two types of taxes that come, out, come about. One is a tax you paid simply as a citizen, and the other tax was something called a sales tax. And if you went into the city to sell your goods of fish and produce, you had to pay a custom sales tax before you were allowed to sell anything. So here's good old Levi, right? Good old Levi, he inflates the percentage rate and tells you it's just the market price. We know Bay Area market price inflated or onion, green onions cost like $2 now. It's like infuriating, but anyways, it's just the market price. And he says this, says this all with a smile. Even though you know he's pocketing the extra cash, you have no choice but to play along. Because how else are you going to sell your goods and produce and provide for your family? Not to mention the fact that if you're just a little bit mouthy and you shortchange Levi, 
He's got a group of his Roman goons close by to have a talk with you, a stern talk, and maybe touch you up a little bit. In order to become a tax collector, there weren't just trials to test how well you count. Rather, this job in particular is a contracted job by the Roman government who would give these jobs out to the highest bidder. Which means Levi had deep pockets to already begin with. And now, what does he do with his wealth? Exploiting his own people. He exploits his own people. What's there not to love about this guy? Pretty much everything, there's every reason to hate about him. And Jesus calls Levi to follow him. And all of God's people say what? Cancel him. This guy doesn't belong with us. At my child's school, we have crossing guards, you know, to keep the order and safety of the traffic. And then this particular Wednesday, my wife was telling me a woman completely dismisses one of the crossing guards who signaled to stop. She misses it, which, you know, is a human error that happens, happens from time to time, but she had complete disregard. She actually U-turns around back to the crossing guard and starts berating him with all sorts of profanity and tells this man, go back to your country. Go back to your country. I heard this. And internally in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't. I was so infuriated as I, as I was hearing this. My blood boiled inside with indignation. And all this while, I realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm working on this passage about Levi. There's my Levi. There's Levi for me. It's sobering, is it not? What if the Levites come to church? What if this Levite comes to church? God doesn't save us according to any of our merits of any kind. He simply saves us because He is kind. And the Bible says, the Bible that I'm supposed to teach about, it proclaims to us from Romans 5.10, For if while we were still enemies, God reconciled us to Him by the death of His Son. God didn't counsel us. Rather, he cancels out our sin. It means I can't just shut off the Levi's of my own life. And neither can you. There's this uh, black jazz musician, his name is Daryl Davis, and he wanted to write this, this writing project about the Ku Klux Klan from a black man's perspective. And so he, he finds leaders of the KKK, and he, he interviews them, and he spends all this time with them. And, he, and, and the thing is, the crazy thing, the craziest thing happens. They become his friend. They leave the KKK. And some of them become converted, because Daryl Davis, he's a, he's a believer. And all the reporters, when they heard about this story about Daryl Davis befriending the KKK, they said, well, weren't you scared for your life? Why would you do something like this? What helped you, what helped you bridge this friendship and all that? You know what Daryl Davis says? He simply says, I was curious. And all I did was give them respect. To give them a little dignity. And the more I listened, even though they were wrong, they would also listen to me. And just like that, 
disarms them, befriends them. They become saved. Dignity, this is the key. Giving people their dignity, no matter how much we can disagree with their views. Is this not what God does for us? That out of all the things that we sh- uh, that that should that out of all the lines that shouldn't be crossed, it's not between conservative or liberal. It's not between racial or social classes. Really, the lines that should never be crossed is the unholy with the holy. Yet this is what the gospel is: of Christ redeeming the ungodly. That the outer truly in. And sometimes what is actually in is actually out. Which brings us to the second point here. The inner out. See, Levi is now officially part of Jesus' crew. So he decides to throw this elaborate party at his house. He invites all his friends. Look at verse 15 with me. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice how often this phrase is used, tax collectors and sinners. It is repeated three times, emphasizing that this isn't a group of polite, upper-middle-class people with reputable uh, occupations. Sinners implies outsiders, meaning that the, even the pagans wouldn't have respected such a group. They're the outskirts of the outskirts. And yet from this perspective of the scribes and the Pharisees, this whole scenario would be like Jesus hanging out at the Trump Tower, or maybe hanging out with Putin. Now if you're thinking, look at how Jesus broke the boundaries. Jesus broke boundaries, so now I must go find the outsiders of our lives and break the boundaries as well. So you seek out a big biker gang that looks like the Sons of Anarchy, or you start networking with the adult, enter- adult entertainment industry, all for the sake of reaching out, because after all, Jesus did it. Good intentions, but is that wise? I'd say this is missing the point. Jesus breaks boundaries so we can understand our own. Levi invited the people around him, people whom he already associated with. The point wasn't to go find out, find the outsider, but that everyone truly is an outsider. And Jesus makes an open invite. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, eating is highly relational within this biblical context. When kings in the Old Testament made treaties, they would share a meal, and it was a symbolic gesture of ratifying treaties. After God made a covenant with his people, you'd find the leaders going up top of the mountain and eating. To feast with someone is essentially, is essentially an act of approval. It's an act of approval. And you know what stands out to me about this whole passage? This is what stands out to me. How can the four disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, how can they they be so quiet? They don't say a word. 
They know Levi. These guys aren't naive. They've probably, they've been ripped off by Levi many times. They know who this guy is. Why is it they have nothing to say at this point? You know what I think it is? And this is just pure speculation on my part. But this is what I think. I'm thinking they knew that he was a crook. But now, Levi's going to be our crook. This guy will bend all the rules in our favor. But this is why Jesus ate. It, but is this why Jesus ate with Levi and, and his friends? Verse seventeen. Jesus said to them, "I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Let's f- focus on this word "call." It's the exact same word used when Jesus starts his ministry in chapter one, verse fourteen through fifteen. Where he says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, call the gospel of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What do you think Jesus is calling Levi and his friends to do? What do you think he's calling Levi and his friends to do? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's the call. Guess what he calls the scribes to do? Repent and believe. Levi and the scribes, they are no different. Levi lived however he wanted, with a you-can't-tell-me-what-to-do attitude, while the scribes, they're very religious folk, right? Very religious. They live a good moral life. They're reputable. They're good at obeying God, but the minute Jesus does something outside of their comfort zone, they say, wait a minute, you're not supposed to do that. Obedience became a means to control God. Levi and the scribe, they both reflect lives that don't need God. They're both the same. The problem isn't between doing good things and bad things, but it's a problem of where do you find your righteousness. That's what it's really about. What is right for you is called sin. When you determine what is right for you, that's what God calls sin. But for you to turn to God and say, you are right, that is repentance. Jesus is not dining with Levi and his friends to enable their tax-collecting ways. Jesus is seeking a relationship. And to be in this relationship with God is a lifelong process of repentance. Being able to say, God, you are right, and only you. I imagine many people hearing this word for repent, we see it as judgmental and oppressive. Why can't God just accept us for who we are? Why can't God just accept us for who we are? But the thing is, acceptance is the foundation to grow. Acceptance is the foundation to change That's what it's there for. You know the two hardest words you will ever say in any relationship, especially in marriage are? The two hardest words you will ever say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hardest words you will ever say. And yet the most important ones to say. Before I proposed to Kathy, I I sought for a blessing from my parents. So we sat down at Panera because... That's where, where you go for all important things to happen. And then we sat there. And my nerves were going crazy 
And the, there was so much awkward silence going on for days. It's like a Lord of the Marathon, uh, Lord of the Rings marathon. It's just going on for days. And just one thing my father-in-law tells me. He simply tells me, Amos, be a good loser. Be a good loser. And I was thinking in my mind, what are you, what are you talking about, be a loser? And he tells me, don't try to win the arguments. You know, in my mind, I just think, I'm a pretty logical, rational person. Why would I just lose all the time? And he just, you know, and yet I just nodded my head and agreed, yeah, because I just want to get married. And so, you know, like, why would I lose? That makes no sense to me. But the older I get, the older I get, my life has been filled with more I'm sorry's. To my wife, to my kids, to my friends, and especially to God. Because the I'm sorry's is just another way of saying the I love you's. What we think is out, what we think is out, the tax collecting ways, the scribal disguise of religiosity, all of it is saying, I don't need God. But really, in the reality of things, God has no need of us. Yet He is eager to bring us in to change us, to restore us. That is why He calls us to repent, to believe, so that we may be brought into Christ, which is our last point here. In Christ. Jesus tells the scribes in verse 17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are sick. What's the diagnosis here? What's the real diagnosis? This meal is probably the most upscale thing the Pharisees have ever probably seen, given the fact that Levi is probably wealthy. It's a banquet. There's three couches for all the guests to probably recline on, because that was the, mid, uh, uh, the, the furniture of the day. While in the middle of this room was probably a gigantic table with Michelin star gourmet. And most likely, servants were there serving the food so that no one has to get up. They just simply recline and eat. That's a good life to me, if you, talk, if you think about it. That's a good life right there. None of the scene would tell me these guys are sick. None, I would not believe that for one bit. If you ask me, they don't look sick at all. If anything, they're living good. Is this not the same logic we have when it comes to witnessing to our neighbors and co-workers. Because how do you convince people who drive nice cars, own timeshares, lovely homes, have a 401k, when they have their lives going on, how do you convince them that they have a sickness called sin? How do you do it? Have any of us ever tried? I read about these rehab clinics in Switzerland whose clientele is specifically for billionaires. Straight up billionaires. And according to one of the owners of this clinic, she, she stated how the wealthy are three to five times more likely to suffer from mental illness and substance abuse. So at these exclusive clinics, each patient would have their own villa with their private driver, a housekeeper, a chef, a live-in therapist, as well as having daily one-on-one -on -one sessions with a team of 15 to 20 psychiatrists, doctors, nurses, yoga teachers, masseuses, nutritionists, hypnotherapists, and trauma therapists. It's a lot. 
a reporter observed that more than once, while visiting the luxury rehab of Zurich, I heard that the transform transformative moment of a client's experience was simply this. Their spiritual waking was a trip to the grocery store. A trip to the grocery store. I shop at Trader Joe's all the time. You don't see me having spiritual awakenings as I check out the bananas. And yet, perhaps, the spiritual awakening that they're talking about is simply becoming human again. What it's like to be human. Jesus is a physician of the soul. He does the most human thing possible. He shares a meal. To share a meal is to share in the fragility of our lives. No matter, no matter if it's fine dining or the dollar menu from UK's, you are still dependent, you are still a dependent creature. And yet there is a God good enough to feed you and sustain you, to show you who is the ultimate sustainer. And every time we turn to something else, we become sick. We become sick. Yet there's a loving God, a physician of the soul named Jesus, who gently reminds us, eat with me. Your sins are forgiven. Just break bread with me. At the end of everything, the Bible portrays a feast in heaven. And at this table, everyone's invited. And yet the only way into this table is for someone to give up their seat for you. At the cross, Jesus didn't just become sick. He became cursed for our sins so that you might be accepted. And for this, Jesus is cast out so that God would pull up a chair for you at his banqueting table. If God can invite you, then surely you can bring Levi to you. Would you pray with me? Lord, in just the climate of so much division in our country, we can't be naive to the fact that sometimes it also exists in church. Whatever labels we choose. But God, the most craziest label of just divisions being, lines being crossed and you bringing harmony is how a holy God can truly want to dine and fellowship with an unholy people like us. And yet, is this not the gospel? Jesus, we pray that you would turn all, our, all kinds of skepticism or, or hard-heartedness towards our neighbors, our friends, whoever it may be, to be reminded that, Jesus, you make an open invite for everyone. Thank you you invite us to your banqueting table to feast with you in heaven. Remind us profoundly of this, even as we partake of the Lord's Supper today. Thank you for being the good physician of our souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.